Hello and welcome to Wrestling at Random. I'm Jeremy Deemer. And I am Adam Summers. You are in season four of Wrestling at Random. And every once in a while, not that all the other shows here on this podcast aren't in my wheelhouse, but every once in a while, the randomizer, I, I feel like maybe when it lays its head down to sleep, it's listening to old episodes of the Big Audio Nightmare and it's thinking, what can I give Adam and by extension Jeremy uh, that will be very interesting to them and hopefully to listeners as well. And it did that this week. It is All Japan Pro Wrestling Television, not from the 80s, not from the 90s, from 1978, April 1978, by far the earliest uh, of any weekly TV I think that we've delved into from any Japanese wrestling promotion, uh, the earliest All Japan Pro Wrestling that we've watched here on the podcast. It's a lot of interesting stuff about this show, including see one guy in the main event who we saw over on the bonus feed uh, accompany someone to a match right around this same time period. So we'll uh, we'll tease that out. We'll get to that later. But yeah, Jeremy, this is an interesting one. A year before my birth is when this show aired, April 22nd, 1978. It was uh, taped the night before, the 21st, at Currican Hall. And 1978, um, there's not a lot of footage from uh, much earlier than this because I'm pretty sure the company was 1972 is a number that we know very well from uh, from New Japan and uh, and all Japan as well so uh, this is pretty early in the in the all Japan history books yeah we're less than six years into the existence of all Japan pro wrestling uh, it's crazy to think as you said, like all Japan, New Japan, such institutions, you kind of don't think that there was a time when they didn't exist and there was a promotion that they both spawned from. Uh, in this case, that was uh, the JWA, the Japan Pro Wrestling Alliance, was where both all Japan and New Japan spawned from, uh, respectively. Giant Baba and Antonio Noki, the two biggest stars of those promotions, left, went off on their own and formed their own groups. Uh, in All Japan's case, it was October of 1972, uh, some seven months after the formation of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Uh, Giant Baba, along with uh, the Momoda brothers, Mitsuo and Yoshihiro, uh, the sons of Ricky Dozan, joined. Uh, well, they joined the JPWA or the JWA, I should say, in 1960. Baba left in 1972 and formed All Japan Pro Wrestling. The first ever card taking place on October 21st, 1972. So again, less than six years before this show occurred. Uh, and yeah, it's it's a really interesting time when you're watching this product because it, you know, it maybe the ring bears a little bit of resemblance to what people know and love about the you know early to mid to late 90s of all Japan. But we're a good 10 years away from really, you know, the formative style starting to take place you go back and look at some of the you know, the jumbo saruta ganichiru tenru matches in the late 80s into the early 90s that really paved the way for the king's road style here we are very firmly planted in giant baba's all japan pro wrestling with a uh, a young very uh, highly touted and very impressive jumbo saruta you know starting to punch his way through uh, but it's a it's a very different all Japan than the other uh, shows that we've watched so far. 
Yeah, we've seen some giant Baba on this show already, but we will talk a little bit more about him and uh, 1978 Baba, where we are. We'll talk about that as we get to his match. He will be on this card later, but uh, we will run down the show in order, and I think you have the full lineup for this show Let's. Yes. Uh, did did it open with Gino Hernandez and the Destroyer? It did not. It is an eight match card. Uh, what we see here in either clipped or full form, depending on the match, are the final three matches. As you mentioned, this is from Cork and Hall, the same Cork and Hall that hosts at least one wrestling show a day and sometimes two or three a day, uh, even in modern days in 2023 as we record this. But it was going strong and filling. Uh, largely the same role on tours then that it does now. Uh, it was the opening show on this tour for All Japan Pro Wrestling, leading to several major shows uh, in the weeks uh, that would follow. The opener was a young, flashy, exciting junior heavyweight named Atsushi Onita. Wow. He was in the opener pre-knee injury, uh, tearing it up as a junior heavyweight, as a young wrestler, uh, against Kim Kwang Sik. That was the opener. We then had uh, a match that feels like it took place on every All Japan show for 35 years. Uh, the aforementioned Mitsuo Momoda against Masafuchi. Uh, Momoda won there. The, the Onita Kim Kwang sick match went to a 20 minute draw prior to that. Uh, we have Mr. Hayashi taking on Munanori Higo in the third match. Al Madrill defeats Misao Ito. In match number four. So, yes, you got wacky foreigners that you wouldn't expect, even all the way back in April 1978. We then have the great Kojika and Matoshi Okuma defeating Don Kent and Nelson Royal, former NWA junior heavyweight champion, I believe, Nelson Royal. And that takes us to the final three matches on the card. Well, I, I believe Nelson Royal is also the one that told us about the bunkhouse stampede around the campfire, right? <laughs> that is very true, and I would view that as a much more of a career highlight than being the NWA Junior WHA. Agreed. It's a great memory. If you go back, I believe, to is it season one? It has to be. Podcast? It has to be. It feels like it was a decade ago. It feels like it was 1978 when he told <laughs> us on this podcast about that. But, yeah, so Nelson Royal, famous for many things, including that. That takes us to the final three matches on this show, uh, the first of which, The Destroyer, a legend among legends in Japan. It is The Destroyer taking on, of all people, a young Gino Hernandez. I, I immediately see this, and I'm like trying to do math in my head. I'm like, how old was Gino Hernandez here? Because uh, he, he always seemed like a young guy. Yes. In world class in the 80s. And we are when in he, the... When he passed away, he was very young. So. Right. Yeah. So uh, you, you need to get his uh, his birth year so we can see how old he was in 1978. Because uh, he's got to be extremely young and extra surprising to be doing a tour of Japan at whatever age he was here. He was... He had just turned 21 wow. on August 8th of that year. So he was just 21 years old. Uh, it's funny to hear these All Japan announcers refer to him as a young lion, obviously not a <laughs> New Japan young lion, but a young lion in the wrestling ring. 
Uh, but yeah, if you would have told me that there was a match from Japan pitting Gino Hernandez against the Destroyer, I would not have believed you. I feel like this match, unfortunately, it's only in clip form. This is another one of those proof of concept matches for the randomizer. This match took place in 1978 in All Japan Pro Wrestling, and we're getting to see it now. Yeah, it brought me up because I was a little bit down when the show started because 1978, we didn't have the classic All Japan of the 80s theme song that I love so much. We didn't have it here, and I'm like, oh, bummer. And then I see Gino Hernandez and the Destroyer on my screen, (laughs) and I'm like, all right, I'm back up. I'm ready to go. Yeah, I I was right there with you. I I was, uh, you just reflexively expect to hear uh, that beautiful orchestral upbeat All Japan Pro Wrestling theme song. Um, If you've never heard it before, uh, you can go back. And I think in almost any episode that we've done where we've talked about All Japan Pro Wrestling and that has been the theme song for that TV show, I splice it in every (laughs) single time. And I was getting ready to do it again here and uh, was wildly disappointed. Yeah, so go listen to any of our reviews of All Japan and you will hear us waxing poetically about how much we love the all japan opening song and we should just point out we as we we mentioned earlier we should reiterate we've covered between here on the free feed and on the bonus feed a pretty wide gamut of years of all japan pro wrestling tv that the randomizer has pulled we had an episode i believe from 1984 Uh, we had one from 1998 when there was only a half hour tv show which i believe featured uh kawada and tawe against Jinsei uh, Shinzaki, who a lot of people know as Hakushi in the WWF, and Hayabusa. Um, I believe there's a few early 90s episodes. So the randomizer has been kind to us in all Japan. But yeah, this is, we're definitely delving further back. And it will be interesting to watch. Like the first thing I thought of when I saw this get pulled up is what a, a fascinating contrast between this and, for example, those 70s WWF shows or even early 80s. Uh, WWF TV shows as one example. Uh, It'll be very interesting to see the stylistic similarities or differences, particularly because there's some people on these shows that were wrestling in the States on some of those territory 70s shows at the same time. Yeah, this show starts, uh, this match is in clipped form, so it's already uh, in progress. Gino missed a knee drop, the Destroyer, Puts on a spinning toe hold, but he gets kicked off by Hernandez. Comes right back with a sunset flip. Gets a two count. Hernandez gets sent into the corner. He tries a cross body off the middle rope. But the Destroyer moves out of the way. Hernandez crashes and burns. The Destroyer picks him up. And he power bombs him for a three count in 1978. The Destroyer's your winner. He invents the power bomb apparently in 1978. This is a low trajectory, low uh, low speed power bomb. Uh, I guess we can't say he invented it because I feel like we saw in one of those World of Sport uh, shows somebody in the in, in it might have been Jim Breaks in like the early 70s, late 60s did, that busted out a power bomb. Yeah, I think uh, I think you're right, and I think uh, did 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 we see uh, Buddy Rogers break out a power bomb? You're right in that match from the fifties. Yeah, uh, so. yeah. So it's and obviously we saw that tandem power bomb uh, in the women's tag uh, from 1983 AWA. So it's one of the other oddities uh, about shows we've seen on this podcast where 
like I think most modern fans think of, or at least I remember in the U.S., it was always billed that Danny Spivey brought the power bomb from Japan to the U.S. I remember watching NWA television at the time, or they, they even had like promos of Danny Spivey saying he's coming back from Japan. And he has a new devastating move. Um, but here we see evidence of it being done 15 years prior, or, you know, like you said, uh, Buddy Rogers doing it in the 50s. All I could say about this opening match, I know it was clipped down, but what we saw was an incredible pace for 1978. You mentioned, let's compare and contrast to the things we've been watching of the 70s, early 80s even, and holy cow, this is a completely different pace than we were seeing for a lot of those 70s matches. And Gino working on... Uh, developing this character, you could just see the natural abilities already as he's flexing and uh, and healing his way out of the ring. This was uh, uh, this was tremendous fun. I wanted more. Yeah, I would have loved to have seen more of it. The match itself uh, went 14 minutes and 40 seconds. We maybe got two, three minutes of it tops. Uh, I also think it's noteworthy in terms of history of this podcast. I think this is somehow the first time We've seen the Destroyer in action on, yeah, I think this, you're right. on this podcast. Yeah. Um, after commercial, a man we have seen many times on this podcast, Dick Murdoch is in the ring. He's taking on Ricky Hada, and this match is also in progress. Um, this we, We've seen a lot of Dick Murdoch. Um, this is the earliest, I think. Of uh, of the Dick Murdoch, I think that '95 Slamboree match would be the latest. This yeah. is probably the other end of the bookend here. For, I believe uh, this Murdoch. is the earliest, unless he was on one of those MSG shows, but I don't think so. It certainly is the earliest. Well, I mean, it's clipped, but or joined in progress with the earliest like full match type of presentation of Dick Murdoch. And yes, he's taking on Rocky Hada, who is a man I'm not overly familiar with. I, I did note that. Uh, Rocky Hada on the show that this uh, six days later that this was building to Rocky Hada wrestled Gino Hernandez. So we had a bunch of uh, uh, mixing up of who would be wrestling who on these shows going forward. But yeah, it's it's always noteworthy when you see Dick Murdoch here again, 17 years prior to Slambury in 1995, the exact same physical condition that he was in in 1995, that he was in in 1986, that he was in in 1978. Hada's work in the arm of Murdoch. Murdoch counters into an abdominal stretch, but Hada reverses it into an abdominal stretch of his own. Murdoch quickly hip-tossed out of that. Hada, with a quick arm drag, goes back to work on the arm of Dick Murdoch. They grapple on the ground. They're trading positions. Every time Murdoch thinks he's got a hold, Hada reverses. Yes, he always goes back to the arm, whether it be an arm bar or an arm drag into an arm bar. Uh, the hammerlock. I also noted, gotta love Dick Murdoch rocking the one knee pad look. That's a, a a classic. I feel like a lot of times you see older injured wrestlers with the one knee pad look, such as if you are listening in linear fashion and you are uh, a member of our Patreon or the Apple Podcast bonus feed, uh, Barry Windham with the one knee pad at Slambury 94, which we just reviewed over there. Uh, same look here for Dick Murdoch. You mentioned the mat work. Uh, obviously, it's 1978, so there was not MMA, but this is like rudimentary MMA, early UFC type of ground struggle or like 
like a very early stage of what you'd see in like a Pancrase fight or a UWF match where uh, you've got a lot of jockeying for position, guards, half guard, side guard. Even if they didn't know that's what they were doing, that's what they were doing. Pace-wise, this is significantly uh, more slowly paced than the opener that we talked about with uh, with the Destroyer and Gino Hernandez. But it's not that boring 70s stalling slow pace. It's one of those matches where, like, if you accept that the conventions of wrestling are real, that, like, a hammerlock, you know, all these sorts of things, like, this is kind of what a real pro wrestling match would look like if those were real moves and you were jockeying for a position. It's very different from other stuff that we've seen, I feel like. Watching Murdoch work this leg lock, all the mat grappling, it's it's not the type of match that you think of when you think of Dick Murdoch. Uh, so we're getting a lot of a lot of grappling, less of the brawling, less of the uh, the crazy. Uh, they're trading positions again. Hada goes back to the arm. Murdoch with underhooks tries a butterfly suplex that's blocked. Hada still. Working on the arm. Yeah, beautiful arm drag here into the arm bar. Like his arm drags are, it's not like a Ricky Steamboat style where it's like flying. It's, again, if if wrestling is real and an arm drag could work, it feels like this is what it would look like. He hooks the arm and then just lets his body fall out from under him and lets gravity and leverage take, uh, take Murdoch over. Like how does not spectacular, but he's an interesting wrestler for someone I haven't seen a whole lot of. I still would have traded match lengths with yes. the the opener. I would have liked yes. to have seen the opener get this time, this match get the opener's time. Uh, we've got a spinning toe hold that gets countered into another armbar, and then we get our first big move of the match. It's a running power slam by Murdoch, an Oklahoma stampede, if you will, followed Which up with a pile driver. The announcers call it a stampede. We should also mention, again, Japanese announcing, but... You can hear they're talking about Dick Murdoch, and they are talking about him ostensibly being in the NWA world title scene at this point because they mentioned Flair, uh, meaning Ric Flair. They mentioned Dusty Rose, Dory Funk Jr., Harley Race, the Superdome, the NWA world title, and they're talking about Dick Murdoch as well. So he clearly uh, is in the mix at this point. Hada with a desperation backslide got a near fall, but Murdoch right back on the attack. He hits the brain buster and gets a three count. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Dick yes. Murdoch's brain buster in 78 uh, all the way through to, to 95 will we'll take, take you out for a three count. The last two minutes of this felt a lot more like a classic Dick Murdoch match yes. than the entire previous time. The pace definitely picked up the last few minutes. It got a bit more rough. It got a bit more rugged. You mentioned Dick Murdoch winning with the brain buster. He then, ever the sportsman here in 1978 in and Hall, massages the neck of Rocky Hada, uh, bows to the fans, checks on Hada again, shakes his hand, and walks out. This is babyface athletic sportsman Dick Murdoch, which is a bit of a trip. I was so weirded out by <laughs> babyface sportsman Dick Murdoch. This was so weird to see. And I was trying to, I'm going through racking my brain. I'm like, have I never seen this before? Uh, and I don't think I have. I can't no. think of a, an example of weird babyface Dick Murdoch. <laughs> like, I feel like I've seen times where in a match where he's wrestling a, like 
another rugged wrestler. He's the de facto babyface, or times where he's been an actual babyface, but he still has been a rugged brawler, not where he's been like, I'm Dick Murdoch, and it's 1978, and I have decided to invent the code of honor. That definitely <laughs> threw me for a loop as well. So we talked about Giant Baba at the top of the program, and we're about to see him wrestle in this next match. I pulled up some notes from uh, about Giant Baba from Dave Meltzer, Wrestling Observer Newsletter. Uh, Baba debuted in pro wrestling September 30th, 1960, same night as Antonio Inoki, both as protégés of Ricky Dozan. Because of his great size, being 6'8 and a half, close to 300 pounds, he went to the United States, billed as a 7'3 Japanese monster, and was a major headliner around the country in the early 60s. After a coup with Inoki, his legendary tag team partner in the late 60s, to take over the old JWA failed, he left the company and formed All Japan Pro Wrestling. They got NWA recognition and immediately became a major promotion in Japan from its start in late 1972. Baba's impressive for his durability. It's amazing. It, it's amazing considering his physique with this huge frame. From September 30th, 1960 through April 25th, 1984. He never missed one advertised match for any reason. Not injury, travel, or anything. That record, which will likely never be broken, is listed as 3,711 consecutive shows, although the real number is actually quite a bit more. No doubt, no doubt well over 4,000 shows. Because those are only the shows in Japan, and he wrestled numerous dates in the United States, including extended tours, during all of those years. So crazy to think how how durable Giant Baba was when you think about big guys of the modern era and how many knee injuries, back problems, all the stuff that goes with being a big guy. Uh, yeah. Baba never missed a date. No, and, I, and and to be fair, to be like to be clear, in later years, while he may not have missed a date, he was doing understandably little to nothing in those matches a few of which we've had here on this podcast but yes the fact that like his knees never broke down to the point of not being able to stand or that his back didn't go out to the point of not being able to get up from the mat like that is it is shocking because he has a a unique large but also frail in the same time looking physique even when he was younger much less uh, uh when he was older so yeah it's it's interesting here we see him in 1978 much more let's say like the prime but this is this is much more of giant baba like as an actual active wrestler uh more than kind of the the added attraction of just the name being there yeah this match is two out of three falls giant baba teaming with another favorite of ours here on the podcast jumbo saruta you want to talk about a young jumbo saruta here yeah, very young. This is he's just five years into his career uh, at this point, and uh, it, it, we'll talk about it throughout the match. But this, to me, is the time where you are really seeing the influence, particularly of Dory Funk, 
on Jumbo Saruta's style, whether it be the European uppercuts or a lot of other things that he does. It's it's a very different Jumbo Saruta than you'd see you know, into the 80s or early 90s and some of the other things that we've uh, we've watched and talked about here on the podcast. Uh, as you mentioned, it is Giant Baba and Jumbo Saruta taking on the team of Ric Flair in 1978 and Kim Duck, who uh, you may know him. He wrestled in the WWF in 83, 84 as Tiger Chung Lee. He also wrestled under under the name Kim Duck in uh, Mid-South in Jim Crockett Promotions uh, in the late 70s into the early 80s. Uh, so he's a guy who we haven't necessarily seen a lot on this podcast, but he's the name I remember always just seeing in the magazines and wondering, oh. huh, I wonder what that guy's like. Oh, and he was he, a job guy. He wrestled like every WWF wrestling challenge from like '86 yes. to '89. Uh, to he he would always Tiger Kung Lee would always be on there somewhere. Yeah, he was he was all over the place, and uh, that includes wrestling in 2022. Stop it! No, that's <laughs> yes. His most I won't say his last match. I will say his most recent match was at the Jumbo Saruta 23rd Anniversary Memorial Service Show that took place at Corican Hall last year that was largely uh, uh, populated by current All Japan and New Japan wrestlers. But he was in a match on that show. It was Tatsumi Fujinami, Tiger Taguchi, and Yoshiaki Yatsu uh, defeating Masafuchi, Misao Inoue, uh, and Shiro Koshinaka, that is Kim Duck wrestling as Tiger Taguchi. <laughs> I was about to ask, what was his name for that match? So that's good. Uh, <laughs> He's been all over the place. He, he had a match. Uh, he was in a battle royal uh, at the Japan 70th anniversary of pro wrestling show at Cork and Hall uh, the year before. <laughs> so uh, not moving all that much, but he has been on shows. And then you've got Ric Flair here, full robe. Uh, lo- this looks like you know a very early uh, incarnation of the Ric Flair character you would know for the the eighties and nineties. Um, this is it's the Ric Flair uh, time wise. If you go back to the show we did recently again in the bonus feed, the best of Greg the Hammer Valentine on that show, the first match was Wahoo McDaniel versus Greg the Hammer Valentine. And who is ringside with uh, Greg the Hammer Valentine? His tag team partner, Ric Flair. So it's uh, we have not seen a lot of 70s Ric Flair, and then here between the two feeds, uh, we're getting a heavy dose of it. Let's get into this match. First fall, Jumbo and Duck start out, and Duck gets the advantage with the uh, with the Bobby Eaton, where you're you're hitting your fist, pushing your elbow into your opponent's face. I know that you're a big fan of that move as well. It makes me very very happy. Uh, he then tags in Ric Flair. Flair comes in, rapid fire punches to the stomach, tags Kim Duck back in, and they throw uh, Jumbo back into the corner. Uh, Kim Duck with some clubbing blows, chops to the throat. Ric Flair tags right back in. They throw uh, Jumbo back to the corner again. Uh, snap mirror, short knee drop from Flair. Duck tags in right away. Top rope axe handle tags in Ric Flair. And talk about pace. That's the most noteworthy thing about the start of this match is so much faster of a pace than you would see in 1978 in most promotions in the U.S. It's also wild to see this team of Ric Flair and Kim Duck going 
full Rockers quick tags for the first several minutes of this match. Talk about unexpected. Quick tags, in and out, flare and duck, and they are just, it is crazy, and I, the highlight for me, too, is is watching this pace. I'm watching these guys come, come in and out. They're, occasionally, they're throwing in a double-team move, but they're really just, uh, just coming in, some offense, coming out, and Flair, he grabs Jumbo Saruta, he slams the big man, and he screams at him, come on, big boy, <laughs> I love the quiet Japanese atmosphere, I can hear Ric Flair yelling and mocking and taunting his opponents. Yeah, in 1978, clearly his insult for wrestlers is calling them boy or big boy, depending on their size, it's... It's a really interesting time in the evolution of Ric Flair because, as you said, we're kind of at the leading edge of what would be or what is the nature boy Ric Flair character. To me, the most noteworthy thing about this match, I know we're in the early stages of it, but it stood out early and then it carried out all the way through. This is pre-chop Ric Flair. Yes. He does not throw a single chop in this entire match. He throws left and right punches. He throws his stomach punches. He throws that knee to the stomach where he grabs the, the the wrestler or his opponent's tights from the front and pulls him in and throws that knee. We see that over and over again, but no chops. It's so weird. More double teaming by Flair and Duck. Jumbo and Flair trade shots, and Jumbo is able to tag in Giant Baba. So Flair and Duck, they double team Baba. Quick tags continue as they double team Baba in the corner. The Baba beatdown continues until he's able to, Baba's able to shoot Duck off the ropes and hits the big boot, allowing him to tag Jumbo back in. Yeah, we've got Baba from the apron with the big boot. (laughs) Big backdrop by Jumbo. Flair tags back in. He knocks Jumbo to the floor. Duck rams Jumbo into the ring post. Baba comes over to attack Duck. While in the ring, Flair... Drops a knee to the forehead of Jumbo a couple of times. Yeah, like Harley Race-style knees. This is well before we always chronicle at what stage are we at in Ric Flair's career uh, vis-a-vis the rolling knee drop. Here it is very much a Harley Race-style falling knee drop that he does not roll through with. We've got Flair screaming, Who are you looking at? (laughs) Now you, punk, who are you looking at? And then he drops another knee. Uh, Kim Duck tags in. We get a double clothesline. Uh, then we get uh, kind of an unhinged double team move here for 1978. I wasn't expecting this. Uh, Kim Duck grabs uh, uh, grabs Baba, or excuse me, grabs Jumbo in like a Boston Crab style slingshot hold. And Ric Flair comes off the top rope with a knee drop out of this position. And this only got a two in 1978. This is crazy. The the double teaming. Uh, uh, just they had the advantage the entire time, and they we got to see a double team showcase here from uh, from these guys. Yeah, I did not great. expect Ric Flair and Kim Duck to be this well oiled of a machine as a tag team duo. Here, uh, we get more deranged choking from Flair, which is awesome. Like, Flair is just he's just like a lightning bolt crackling through this building, like, there's so much energy coursing through the body of Ric Flair, just wanting to be Ric Flair here in Cork and all. Yeah, and seeing Duck hold Jumbo Saruta 
which looked super impressive, holding that big dude as Flair came off the top of the knee drop. Pile driver by Duck. Baba breaks up the pin attempt. Flair and Jumbo have a chop battle until Jumbo takes Flair down. A chop. It's it's Jumbo throwing chops. It's Flair throwing punches to the stomach. No chops from Flair. No chops from Flair. That's what's unique about this battle. And uh, Jumbo takes Flair down, tries for a Boston Crab, can't get it. So he busts out a giant swing. <laughs> I was not expecting that. The, the giant swing from Jumbo. Flair back up, tries a knee drop, but Jumbo shakes him off. And this is where, uh, I had it wrong earlier, this is where he whips Flair into the ropes. And Giant Baba with a big boot from the apron. He gets his boot over the top rope into the ring, knocking Flair down. Uh, it, it's interesting in that... I think, like, if you had an idea of, well, 1978 Jumbo is going to be a ton more active, not necessarily the case. I feel like we've seen clips of something of his from the earlier 70s. Uh, I can't remember whether it was on this podcast or it was just something I watched my own time. It was who did he wrestle? And it was much more of, like, a a grounded match. Oh, it's going to drive me crazy. I think it was a, it was a – wasn't Bachwinkle? It was. Was it Briscoe? Was it Jack or Jerry Briscoe against Giant Baba over on the bonus feed from like seventy three or seventy four? And we That's... saw a lot of like Matt wrestling, not unlike the Dick Murdoch Rocky Hada match, and that was a trip. This is more of what you'd expect from older Baba here on display in seventy eight. After the boot, Baba tags in, hits a swinging neck breaker, only gets a one count. A Russian leg sweep by Baba gets a two count this time. Flair tags back in. Duck hits a double axe off the top. Flair goes for the pin, but Jumbo makes the save. We then get a double atomic drop by Flair and Duck. A double body slam. And Ric Flair gets the pin on Giant Baba. This is the most unexpected finish of the first fall. I did not see that coming. No, I stood up out of my chair, (laughs) off my couch, whatever you want to say. I was shocked to see Ric Flair here pinning Giant Baba. I also, as we were watching this, did not realize, did not know that it was a two out of three falls match at first. So I'm like, oh my God. Yeah, exactly. Out of nowhere, pin Giant Baba. Holy crap. Um, Instead, it's only the first fall, but still. Uh, Giant Baba wasn't in the business of dropping falls to just anyone. Uh, it just speaks even more to, you know, particularly what we talked about, what you mentioned about uh, All Japan being a strong AWA, or excuse me, NWA territory at this point, how uh, how Ric Flair was perceived and valued within the NWA and by extension in All Japan, that he got this non-fluke, like completely no. legit first pinfall, uh, first fall pinfall victory over Giant Baba. Uh, shocking. Flair talking all kinds of trash after the pin as we go to the second fall. Uh, we go to the second fall. Flair is walking around. He's taunting Baba. He's taunting Jumbo Saruta. The second fall starts. He's yelling at Baba and saying, direct quotes, I'm the man and you are the boy. I <laughs> lost it. I love these 1978 insults from Ric Flair saying that he is, in fact, the man and Giant Baba is the boy. Yeah, Flair and Duck are double-teaming Baba in the corner. Baba's able to dump Duck out of the ring to the floor. 
Jumbo rams Duck's shoulder into the post. Duck's tossed right back out. Baba rams Duck into things outside. <laughs> All kinds of stuff. And then back inside, Duck catches Jumbo with a headbutt to the gut and tags Ric Flair back in for more double teaming. This is domination by Flair and Duck. Yeah, it's, it's complete domination. It's so weird. Duck with a tombstone pile driver in 1978. Yeah, it was a tombstone. The announcer said that it was a shoulder breaker. But this, I, I'm with you. This looks more like a tombstone. Uh, then a shoulder breaker, only two. Flair tags in, hits some clubbing blows to the chest, because remember, he does not know how to throw a chop yet in 1978, so instead it's overhand clubbing blows to the chest. Jumbo firing back with chops. He hits the big jumbo through to high knee, then a deadlift gut-wrench suplex, uh, which felt like it could be a finish here, but Kim Duck makes the save. All four men are in as it breaks down. Baba and Duck fight to the floor. Inside, Jumbo hits an atomic drop on Flair, a backdrop driver, and Jumbo goes for a drop kick and misses. Flair hits an atomic drop that sends Jumbo to the floor, and Jumbo is counted out. Flair and Duck win in two straight falls? I I didn't think I was going to be more shocked than I was with the first <laughs> fall result, but I was more shocked by the second fall result. We got a clean sweep for Flair and Duck, and they were worthy victors. They dominated this match. <laughs> yeah, they uh, 100% dominated Giant Baba and Jumbo Saruta. Two straight falls. Yeah, the second fall is a count out, but if you're scoring on points, uh, it, it clearly that second fall would have gone uh, would have gone to them. Uh, count outs or not flair is flexing he's just saying yeah a lot as he walks around the ring uh, we then get graphics as the show closes previewing the upcoming show uh, which is taking place on i believe april 27th to air on april 29th which would be main evented by jumbo saruta defending the united national title uh, the NWA United National title in a two out of three falls match against Ric Flair. So this was the heat up for that. And uh, one of the ways to really make Ric Flair seem like he had a chance of defeating Jumbo Saruta to win the title is getting a clean victory on Giant Baba and then his team getting the clean sweep here in a two out of three falls match. Uh, that show on the 27th, Jumbo Saruta did defeat Ric Flair in three falls. Uh, First fall at 1939, second fall at 2828, the third and deciding fall for Jumbo Saruta at 3127. Holy uh, cow. That, that how long that match was almost an hour? Jeez. Uh, well, no, I mean that's cumulative. It went 3127. Oh, okay. okay. That's that uh, overall mark for the match. Got it. Okay. Um that match, um I think maybe I've seen it. I don't know. I would have to go back. I feel like it's probably the the matches in 82 or 83 that I've seen. Um, but this is uh, a 7.6 rating on cage match, which is uh, a pretty high rating for a match that took place in 1978. So uh, if anybody is a patron and they want to give us a uh, they want to be the intentionalizer and give us a curated list of Jumbo Saruta versus Ric Flair classics, we would not turn it down. Yes, please get get get. I, I I'm still trying to get the taste out of my mouth from the quote best of Greg the Hammer Valentine <laughs> curated list. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, all right. So yeah, this show 
goes off the air at that point. So let's talk about uh, favorite thing on this show. Yeah, I would have to say, I mean, I, I enjoyed uh, Babyface, Man of Honor, Dick Murdoch. It was cool to see uh, uh, young Gino Hernandez figuring it out. It was fun to finally see the Destroyer on the podcast. But maybe unsurprisingly for me, the star of this show, everyone will be shocked. Ric Flair in 1978 in All Japan Pro Wrestling. Just, again, like, like a lightning bolt. Like you could just feel... Him jumping out of his skin, he was so engaged in being this Ric Flair character and figuring it out and doing it in front of this completely different audience. Uh, watching Flair particularly go at it with with Jumbo Saruta uh, was great. And maybe the most surprising thing was, again, the well-oiled team that was Ric Flair and Kim Duck. I want to know, did they ever have a match against the Rockers? Would that set the record for all-time <laughs> number of tags in shortest period of time in a single match i don't know but yeah that was that was something yeah did not see that coming i think uh you know i agree on that point rick flair is obviously the best thing on this show super impressive loved everything i saw with him and, and jumbo saruta super fun uh totally shocked by those outcomes yeah um I can't say that Babyface Dick Murdoch is uh, uh, is a is a positive on the show. It was just it's like it's not your favorite Dick Murdoch. It was just weird. It left me like confused and and scared, and I was just like, "What is what's going on?" It made me feel like like we've had the randomizer. You know, it picks shows, it picks individual matches. Those end up over on the bonus feed. But I've never felt like the randomizer randomized a wrestler's character in a <laughs> yes. show. Like it did here with Dick Murdoch. I can't imagine there's too many examples of this uh, throughout Dick Murdoch's career, but it's an interesting, you know, curiosity uh, to watch him again wrestle as a man of honor. Is there a worse thing on this show for you? I, I mean, I think I'll I'll go with what you said earlier: the decision to uh, clip the Gino Hernandez destroyer match from like 14 minutes and 40 seconds down to maybe two and a half minutes uh, versus keeping a lot of the not terrible, but really, really slow first 10 minutes of the, uh, the Dick Murdoch Rocky Hata match in I'm with you. I would have liked to have seen those joined in progress decisions flipped. Agreed. That, that is my, my worst thing on the show is the, uh, the production other, of that other worst thing. I think we'll both agree on mentioned it earlier the all japan theme music was not in effect here in 1978 apparently that's an atrocity no i can't hold it against them because they hadn't had the idea yet in 1978 it's their fault for not having the idea yet (laughs) but yeah it was a uh uh, it's definitely missing it's something i didn't realize i was going to miss until (laughs) it was gone until it just wasn't there uh do love that i might have to splice it in just to hear it again as we uh, go off the air today. I think you should, because we always add new listeners. We know that. Yes. And maybe these listeners have not heard the previous episodes where that theme song was in effect. Uh, maybe you can add that as a way to play the show out. That can be the yes. outro to yeah. this week's show, and people can be uh, uh, they can be enticed to check out our podcasts that cover those episodes and go on, uh, on YouTube and wherever else and watch some of those old episodes. Yeah, and I have no problems going and uh, digging out the old old Japan song <laughs> and putting it in here. Yeah, it's good good stuff. Uh, and with that, we are going to call it a podcast. But uh, we've mentioned a bunch of other all Japan shows we've watched here. 
you can hear about those in this in the feed that is free that you're listening to right now. Whatever your podcatcher of choice is, uh, we have. Just go ahead and look in the the back catalog of episodes. There, we've reviewed many all Japan TV shows. They're all there for you. Um, if you're like, yeah, I know, I've been a listener for a long time. I've listened to all those. Good, thank you. We 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 couldn't have done this show without your support. We we love it. But if uh, if you want more content than what we offer every single week on the free feed, we've also mentioned the bonus content over at our Patreon.com/slash Wrestling at Random site. That is where uh, we put out an extra show every week. There's an extra show. Sometimes it's a match or two. Sometimes it's a whole show. Sometimes it's something weird, and it just doesn't fit in the free feed. It goes in the bonus content. We put on an extra show every single week. And when you sign up to be a patron, or if you're an Apple Podcast subscriber, you hit the subscribe button, and it unlocks all of the back catalog of the bonus content. Where where are we at now, Adam? How many shows do we have available in the Well bonus over con- 100. If you give me a second, I'll pull up on our Patreon. Um, I should mention, by the way, I went back and looked as you were saying that. So for All Japan, just in the free feed, if you're a new listener, you're enticed by, hey, want to hear some more All Japan talk. We have uh, an episode covering a show from 1986, one from 1991, one from 1997, and one from 1998. That's just in the free feed. Wow. Uh, much less all the craziness we have uh, in the bonus feed. Yeah, so in the bonus feed, well over 100 episodes, like Adam has mentioned, uh, they, they all get unlocked the instant you subscribe, the instant you support the show there. And we have 106. Fun. Sorry wow. to jump in. 106 as we record this episode's in the bonus feed that is akin to three full seasons of this podcast that you've never heard these are all exclusive to the bonus feed three additional seasons worth of shows that you have never heard if you have yet to subscribe on the bonus feed and the most fun part of the bonus feed is the people that bump themselves up from not just the base tier where they get all that bonus content, they bump themselves up one tier higher. They can be the randomizer. We call it the intentionalizer, where you go and you can tell us what you'd like us to review. You commission the podcast, and we watch uh, a show of your choosing. And so sometimes it's a curated list of matches. Sometimes it's an old pay-per-view. Sometimes it's a TV show. And it's it's whatever the listeners, the supporters over on on the Patreon want us to listen to, and we will listen to those. We've got a ton of those in the back catalog. We've got a ton of those in the queue coming up. Now it's never been a better time. That is the most fun we have is when someone says, "Hey, I want you to watch this shit, these matches, this show. It's important to me. I think it'll be funny if you watch it. I think it'll be a, a great review. I think we'll all learn something. It's a it's a great time uh, had by all." So. We love it. It's the it's the best part of doing this show is uh, getting to interact with everyone over on the bonus content and getting to see what shows you pick for us. So definitely keep those picks coming. If you haven't checked it out, now is the time to do it. The content is flowing. It's great stuff right now. Check it out. Uh, and if you can't support the show financially in these times and you can't join the bonus content, we get it as well. The, the other way to, sh- to support the show Make sure you're subscribing to everything we do on social media at Wrestle at Random. That's Twitter and Instagram. 
and make sure that you tell your wrestling fan friends about the podcast because wrestling fans know other wrestling fans and it's uh the we rely on your word of mouth so so uh, bring bring a friend along with on a trip down memory lane and throw us a subscription not just subscribing via your podcatcher of choice but also there's a video version of this podcast that goes up every single week as well at our youtube channel youtube.com slash at wrestling at random podcast there you can uh, subscribe helps us work the algorithm so other wrestling fans can find the show and uh, give us likes and and all those things on the videos and uh, and if you want to see us instead of hearing us it's available there as well so definitely uh it and and for the people that are watching right now on the youtube we we see you we know you and uh thank you for uh uh for for quietly building up quite a following over on the the youtube side of things so uh thanks to everyone who watches the show there absolutely and and as we close this out uh, i know you always thank me I'm going to thank the randomizer. I could thank Ric Flair. I could thank Gino Hernandez, but I'm thanking the randomizer. I love it when it brings us stuff from Japan, particularly when it brings us stuff that is from an era even prior to when I started watching. So keep it going, randomizer. You've done good for us. You've done well for us in all Japan. And I have a feeling that at some point, whether it be this season or another season, I'll be interested to see what else it brings us. Maybe it'll bring us more honorable babyface Dick Murdoch. We can only hope. Thanks, Adam, for joining us, and thanks, everyone, for listening, and we will talk to you again next time.